Hi there, guys, and welcome to Tips for Lawyers podcast, episode 10. We made it through to double digits, so that in itself is pretty good. In case you haven't noticed, I've had some fairly interesting issues with iTunes uh, recently, so that's caused a little bit of a delay in getting this particular podcast out. I wanted to make sure that everything was working again before I went to the trouble of actually uh, getting it finalized, recorded, and put onto the actual iTunes system. So it has been a couple of weeks since the last one. I don't know if you can hear the background. There's a football game going on at the moment. So uh, if there's background noise, then that's what that's from. But there have been some issues. They are hopefully gone, which means I can get back to releasing podcasts pretty regularly. And hopefully that's good for you guys. Now, at the end of podcast episode nine, I did suggest that what we were going to do Today was going to be, in fact, an example of the upcoming 10 Days to Better Business Legal Skills audio course, and I've changed my mind. I'm actually not going to do that because it's not quite ready, and releasing it now would just be a little bit of a waste of time because you wouldn't be able to follow up by actually taking a look at the full course itself. So I'm not going to be doing that today. Instead, today we're going to have a talk about imposter syndrome or whether you are an imposter. A little bit of a confronting issue, but you'll understand a bit more what I mean. Now, if you need a summary or you want to check anything I'm talking about uh, or just refresh your memory about what the podcast was about, you can always get the show notes of this particular podcast at tipsforlawyers.com slash episode 010, so 010, and that will give you all the links you need. Now, what I may end up doing, I haven't quite decided yet. I'm actually Uh, link it to an article I'm thinking of writing, but uh, you'll find that out pretty easily. If you type it in, it'll take you wherever it is I decide to end up sending you from that link. If you haven't done it yet, and thank you to everyone who does, if you haven't done it, I would be really appreciative of an iTunes rating. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you're getting something out of it, you can go to tipsforlawyers.com slash iTunes, and that will take you through to where you can do a fairly self-explanatory review process. Just chuck in five stars. If you want to give a little bit of a comment, let other people know what it's like. You'll see some kind people have done that already, and I really appreciate that. And it's really doing some good things for keeping us on the new and noteworthy uh, section, which is great for visibility. And, uh, you know, it's just good that a few uh, new and emerging lawyers around the place are being able to listen to the podcast and hopefully get a few things out of it. I did want to say too, though, if you ever have an idea Uh, or a suggestion or a question that you would particularly like me to deal with in the podcast, could you let me know? Uh, It would be really good to be able to get that kind of feedback. And I would really encourage you to do it. You can get that pretty easily on any part of the website. Just go to tipsforlawyers.com. Up in the top of almost any page, you will find a contact uh, link. Go to that, fill out the form, let me know you've got a suggestion for a podcast episode or a particular question, and I would be happy to do anything uh, provided it's within my expertise. Don't get me doing podcasts on your law assignments uh, because you're not necessarily going to do that well, and uh, I don't necessarily have the expertise to help you out in that one. So you know the kind of stuff we do with here. Uh, Anything aligned with that, I'd be happy to take a look at answering some questions, and certainly a few of the podcasts so far have in fact come out of specific questions that have been addressed to me. Now, today's topic, I called it, Are You an Imposter? or Imposter Syndrome. It's, a, it's an interesting topic and it, and it came to my attention, I guess, when I was looking at things like online business uh, and entrepreneurial skills and what a lot of people find themselves 
in in that situation is the feeling of, I shouldn't really be here. I'm not in the right place. I'm not good enough to be doing this particular thing. And it happens a lot to people who are trying to sell a product or who've developed something and they just lack that certain amount of confidence that actually allows them to feel like they actually have something of value to offer. And it can be a particularly confronting feeling for someone trying to sell something. And it can, in fact, lead to inactivity or inaction on the part of the person. So it can be quite crippling for some people who have a serious case of imposter syndrome. And it occurred to me as I was listening to someone else talking about this particular topic, that it was in fact something relevant for young lawyers as well. So how do we get to that? How is it relevant to young lawyers, this concept of imposter syndrome? Well, really what it comes down to is this issue of not feeling like you are where you are supposed to be or not feeling like you are good enough to be where you are being put. And that can come up in a few different particular scenarios, this concept of being an imposter. But let's see how we get there. Now, of course, the way you traditionally get into a legal career is that you finish your school, uh, you do obviously your law degree, you generally do some kind of practical legal training, and then you are in a law firm. Now, that can be a number of different possibilities depending on where you are around the world. In Australia, you will traditionally work in a law firm at least for a little while while you were doing your training, but then you might find yourself as a solicitor. But in some countries, I know there are people who go directly out and actually start their own law firms, uh, hanging up their shingle is sometimes what it's called, and they begin their own law firm straight out of being admitted as a lawyer, uh, which to me is fascinating because I never would have had the confidence to do that, but I have seen some people do it and I have seen them succeed. It is much harder to do in Australia the requirements to be able to run your own law firm are fairly uh, strict, but I have seen people do it in other jurisdictions. So that kind of thing can happen. And what you find yourself in a situation is this massive leap. Because when you're a graduate and you're describing yourself as a trainee or a graduate lawyer or a student lawyer or whatever particular phrasing you might use, you might be an article clerk or something like that, there's a certain lack of of expectation put upon you about your confidence, about your expertise, and about what you can actually bring to the table in any particular discussion. But you find that transitions very quickly once you are in fact admitted as a lawyer. And so what you have a tendency to find is that people create this massive jump, and it's quite a significant jump when you go from law clerk or article clerk to admitted solicitor. Now for you, It's really only a difference of about 24 hours. One day you're a clerk and the next day you're a lawyer. It's not like there's been some magical potion given to you that gives you this extra knowledge, this extra confidence and this extra experience which allows you to bring anything more to the table. And as a result, what has a tendency to happen as you get involved in more matters and particularly if you get involved with new people who don't necessarily know your background or don't have the same sort of assumptions or knowledge about you that your existing colleagues and peers have about you, it can be very difficult because you find yourself put into situations by virtue of your title, and that is might be solicitor, might be lawyer, might be attorney, whatever it is in your particular jurisdiction, you have a title that comes with a certain amount of expectation. And it comes with a certain amount of expectation both on the part of your employer and also on the part of your client. 
and that can be quite confronting. The last thing most lawyers want at the end of the day is to be perceived as being deficient in a particular area. And certainly that's one of the greatest fears I think lawyers have. And frankly, it's something that leads to a lot of mistakes being made uh, in terms of judgment calls and wisdom. But it is a common fear. Lawyers do not want to be seen as ignorant. Uh, We are all generally fairly highly driven, highly motivated, uh, and fairly self-confident people. And the idea that someone might perceive us as being less than 100% knowledgeable on basically anything that they might ask us is sometimes a little bit distressing. In fact, I did do an article specifically on that that I'll link in the show notes uh, about what lawyers were terrified of. And I encourage you to have a look at that because it's more about that particular topic. But as a lawyer, you can be confronted with this feeling of overwhelming insecurity when you're put in particular situations. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about imposter syndrome. I'm talking about that feeling that comes to you. You're all of a sudden in a client meeting and for the first time, maybe you're by yourself. Maybe you are interviewing a client having a first client conference by yourself for the first time and this feeling as they're talking and they're looking at you and they're expecting you to provide the answers that would normally be provided by the person who used to sit next to you, whether it be your partner or a senior or a lawyer or whatever, doesn't really matter. But those things are no longer there. You haven't got that safety rope that you used to have and all of a sudden you think, my goodness, what am I doing here? I don't know the answers to these questions. I don't have the legal knowledge and I don't necessarily have the confidence to make this client feel better. What do I do if the client cries at me? What do I do if the client gets angry at me when they don't know the answer? How much am I supposed to tell them this is going to cost? Am I supposed to get money into trust? All these sorts of things start coming up in your head and you get this overwhelming sense that you do not belong there, that you're not ready for that particular element of practice and that you have no earthly idea what to do. And that is a very confronting and difficult situation to find yourself in. Now, there are, of course, two issues that are here. The first is whether the insecurity is valid and reasonable. That is, maybe you do not have the skills required for the situation that you've been placed in. Maybe you don't have the knowledge. Maybe you haven't been armed with the necessary background information or skills before you got there. And that is then a legitimate concern. But the second type of concern is, of course, the one that's just coming in because you're terrified. You're terrified of looking silly. You're terrified of making a mistake. And you're terrified of doing something that might reflect badly on you or the firm. And you don't want to uh, be seen to have been uh, loose or making a mistake with the authority and the trust that was given to you by the person who asked you to go to that meeting in the first place. And I think fundamentally both of those answers or both of those issues come back to the same main resolution and that is one of authenticity. It's one of authenticity with your client. It's also one of integrity with your client because at this meeting, don't forget, that client, unless they're a long-standing client of your particular firm, if they're a new client, they view you as their lawyer. You personally, not necessarily the firm, not the partner who asked you to go to the meeting. They are the person who has met you. You are the only lawyer they have met. They consider you to be their lawyer. And so your role at that initial meeting, if that's what we're talking about, and this is obviously just one example, but meetings with clients are probably the most commonly confronting situations where lawyers find themselves not armed 
with the necessary information and young lawyers have a tendency to freak out a little bit. So I'm using that as the example because it's common across all areas of law, not necessarily uh, just some areas of law. So you're in that meeting. What do you do? You're, it is an opportunity for you to develop trust. And the way you can develop trust is by demonstrating your integrity and your authenticity. Now, at the same time, and I'll come back to how you do that, I should say, but at the same time, it's not necessarily an opportunity for you to display ignorance. So there is a fine balancing act between uh, getting the trust of the client through honesty uh, about what you do and do not know, and in fact, diminishing the trust of the client if they feel that you or your firm does not have a real handle on the situation. And this can be a fine juggling act because you would have seen senior lawyers deal very confidently probably with the same situation. They have the knowledge, they have the legal background, and they have the authority in the firm to be saying things, making decisions, giving promises uh, that you don't necessarily have. But at the same time, you do have a lot of knowledge at your disposal. And there can be a tendency for those who lack a little bit of self-confidence to shrink back and, and in the face of every question or every opportunity to participate or build trust with a client, they go, oh, I'll need to check with uh, my supervisor about that. And there's a limit to how many times you can, of course, say that in a particular conversation because it will start to diminish the level of trust that you have in a client. And you will find yourself getting into the habit of saying that, not because you don't know the answer, but because you don't want to commit to the answer. And those are very different things. We do not all know the answer to every particular question. I've mentioned it before in the podcast, but one of the areas I work in is tax litigation. I do not know all of the answers to all of the tax issues that are likely to arise on any given day. Uh, They are simply far too complicated. Uh, I've been doing it for a little while and I I don't even come close to knowing what possibly a tenth of the issues could be that might arise in any particular complex taxation situation. So uh, I am not afraid to say that I don't know how those things work. But what I can do is speak confidently to issues about process. I can speak confidently to issues that I have already experienced. And I can speak confidently to technical issues as well. And For those issues that I don't necessarily know, I'm just up front. Say, look, it could be X, Y, Z, but I want to check ABC before I, you know, give you a definite answer. And I think that's going to cost a certain amount of money. Now, the comfort of saying those things does come with a certain amount of experience. But as a junior lawyer, uh, one of the things you need to assess if you're finding yourself confronted with this feeling that you don't have the necessary tools is whether you actually don't or whether you just think that you don't. Uh, Often I find junior lawyers, in fact, have far more knowledge and ability at their disposal than what they might otherwise think they do. They just don't want to actually cross a barrier or for some reason they are afraid of what might happen if they get the answer wrong, even though they actually know the correct thing to say. They just don't want to commit to it because they have a little bit of an issue with their own self-confidence. So do be aware of the reality of your own situation, if you're faced with this confronting issue of feeling like you don't belong. But I did mention authenticity and integrity, and the reason it is relevant to these issues is because you have to be real. At the end of the day, you will only get, as a general rule, persistent feelings of being an imposter if you actually 
find yourself having to pretend on more occasions than being authentic on those occasions. And that can be uh, an indicator that perhaps you need to do something about it. Because if you are constantly having to bluff your way through things, uh, if you're confident enough to do that, or if you find yourself being frequently put into situations that you're simply not armed for, uh, and you feel like there's something else you need to do, then you should do it. You should go and learn what you need to learn. You should ask the partner what you can be doing to address the situation that you find yourself in if you are not learning after the first couple of situations and being able to build on that for the subsequent ones. Because don't forget the first couple of times you have client conferences, they are a learning opportunity for you. They're a learning opportunity on how to speak to people, how to build trust and rapport, how to get the necessary information from people, and how to leave people with a sense that you're actually looking after their interests and in control, even if you haven't necessarily provided them with all the answers. Don't forget that your job is not always to provide someone with all the answers. As often as not, your job in those client interviews is going to be get the necessary information, leave the client with the sense that their information is in good hands, that they have told their story in a way that's been well understood, and that it's something you're able to deal with, and that you'll get back to them in a timely fashion about. That's really all you need to do in order to be authentic. And frankly, there's no reason any junior lawyer can't do those things. You don't need to provide answers to all the legal questions. You don't need to provide everything the client necessarily asks for. Just make the expectations clear. You know, we're here today so I can get some information from you. I'm going to ask you some questions so I really understand what your issues are. And then we're going to have to go away and have a think about it. And we'll be letting you know over the next few days what we think your prospects are or how we think the contract should be or whatever. Um, So I do have a few tips for you uh, to specifically get you armed with this kind of thing and get you in the right mindset if you're going into client interviews in particular, but really any situation that you might not feel armed for. Uh, The first is to make clear the expectation with whoever's asked you to go to it. Normally, you won't be going to a meeting of your own accord. You'll have been asked to attend the meeting. So just ask the person, what am I doing there? You know, am I giving advice? Uh, Do you want me to, to give an estimate? Do you want me to just get information? What is the purpose in me being there other than obviously meeting the client and uh, shaking their hand, there is an outcome the partner hopes you will achieve from that meeting. Make that expectation clear so that you don't go in there feeling like you need to do a hundred things, whereas in reality, the partner only expects you to do five. So uh, understand what you're getting in for, first of all. The next thing after you've done that, if for some reason you don't feel equipped to achieve those things that your partner has set to you, you need to find a way of becoming equipped before the event occurs. Because um, I'll tell you now, frequently declining things on the basis that you're not feeling confident enough to do them isn't going to do wonderful things for your career. So what you need to do is to figure out a way of actually becoming equipped. After you know the expectations, you should be in a position to be able to do them. Now, you might still feel nervous about things. But if your partner's sending you into a meeting about uh, an insolvency issue, for example, or a bankruptcy issue, and you know nothing about insolvency or bankruptcy, try and get enough fundamental information that you can at least do a little bit of research. You can read a book. You can find a recent file that might have dealt with a similar issue. You can do something. 
you know, even half an hour preparation will take you a long way, at least towards being able to ask meaningful questions and get useful information for down the track. But if you simply go in completely ignorant of what's going on, then it's not going to do any real good for you or for the client because, frankly, you'll just end up going back and asking more questions later. Now, the next thing you need to do, so you've gotten the necessary information from the partner, you've perhaps gone and done a little bit of research, but the next thing you need to do after that is to go and create proper expectations in the hands of your clients. Uh, So the person you're meeting, control the meeting. Uh, and, And this can be a difficult one when you've got a young lawyer meeting with an older person who might have more confidence if they're a business person or something. They might need to control the meeting, but at the end of the day, you're there to get a certain task done and they are paying you to do that. So most people will appreciate a few fundamental things. The first is this. Most people will want to tell their story. If you're going for a first client interview or something like that, most people want to feel like they have effectively communicated their story of events that they think are relevant and that you have understood them. And that may involve you listening to some stuff that's irrelevant. That is not an opportunity for you to cut them off. It is an opportunity for you to develop trust. Developing trust sometimes involves listening to things that are not relevant. Because the client needs to know that you have understood the whole story. Not just the legal elements of the story, but maybe the emotional elements. Maybe elements that aren't, strictly speaking, going to be relevant to any cause of action. But help create in you a knowledge of what's important to that particular client. Perhaps it will give you a sense that speed of resolution is more important than the actual dollar value of the resolution. Maybe it will give you a sense that uh, if there are three other parties in a potential issue of litigation, uh, then that one of them is really the primary target or that one of them has um, significant personal issues that need to be addressed or something like that. Listening to that extraneous material although it may not be directly legally relevant, can still be relevant to the overall story and to the decision-making and the strategy that goes behind a file. So don't underestimate the importance of that. However, back to the principal issue of being uh, an imposter or not, your job that you are setting out to achieve, you need to make that clear to the client at the start of the conference as well. So if your partner has set you in to take a statement, for example, and the client doesn't necessarily understand that, or necessarily understand what that process involves, but you do because you've looked a little bit into it before you get in there, you can confidently go into the meeting. You can say, G'day, Bob. Um, You know, partner X has asked me to have a chat with you today. Uh, Specifically, he's asked me to go through A, B, C, and D. Um, So let's go through those, uh, and then we'll be done, and I'll go back and talk to the partner. We'll draft a statement, and we'll email it to you. Create realistic, proper, and appropriate expectations right up front. That way the client knows exactly what's going on. You have controlled the situation and that way you won't be put in a situation necessarily. It might happen, but it decreases the chance that you'll be put in a situation where the client is going to ask you questions that you don't know the answers to, that the client is going to insist upon being provided with something that you're not equipped to provide them. And it just helps make the boundaries of what's happening in that particular meeting clear. It avoids you being in a situation where you either have to make something up, whether you have where you have to confess to your ignorance, or where you have to uh, 
perhaps say something that might be regrettable or contrary to what the partner said or any sort of other things that might happen. If you can control the direction of the discussion, you're going to have a lot more luck uh, avoiding trust issues arising and avoiding imposter issues arising where you have no earthly idea what you're doing, but you feel like you need to actually make it up as you go along. That's going to create problems in the long run anyway. So if you can create good expectations, you're going to be able to manage that situation better. So those are my tips for avoiding imposter syndrome. Uh, it, It can be a troublesome thing and to an extent, avoiding that feeling of unease that comes with feeling like an imposter is going to diminish over time. As you become more confident, you get a little bit more knowledge under your belt and you become able to handle those situations where you in fact have no earthly idea what you're doing. Not necessarily by making it up, but by just handling it and still leaving the client with a sense of trust. And that does come with time, but there are those strategies I've talked about to help you in that. That's all I had today on imposter syndrome. Uh, This is Tips for Lawyers podcast episode 10. Like I said before, you can find the show notes at tipsforlawyers.com slash episode 010. And I'll put in there uh, a few relevant things that you might want to have a read of as well uh, in the show notes and the link to the iTunes store so you can leave a review. Thanks for your time. I'll talk to you next time.